0: Well, as they are going, what would Christmas be without music, right? Yeah. Let us, uh, let's spend some time together in prayer this morning. Oh Lord, we thank you that you are also the God of music, the one who gives great gifts. And Lord, as we celebrate this Advent season, we thank you for your first coming, Coming, Lord, in such humility, coming to the lowliest of people, and yet drawing also and inviting the mightiest. Lord, uh, we thank you that in this season uh, that you break into our days, Lord, in sometimes in the most ordinary ways. Uh, I thank you, Lord, as I was waiting in a lineup in the mall yesterday to hear a Christmas carol that, uh, Lord, was all about you. And I thank you that we continue to hear about you, even in public spaces. And we pray, Lord, that you might enable us to have opportunities as well in conversations, Lord, whether it be with friends or neighbors or acquaintances, Lord, to invite them into the real wonder and gift of this season. Lord, we also recognize that for many, this is also a challenging season. For some, the, light, the increasing days of darkness are not only a physical reality, but also an emotional one. And for some, a spiritual one. And we thank you that you are not the God who just came back then, but the God who continues to come. The God who continues to give hope and peace. And we pray, Lord, that as we open up your word together this morning, that we might hear from you. We thank you that you are not a mute God, but that you are a God who communicates to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our ears and our eyes, Lord, that we would truly hear from you this morning and be changed. Amen. Well, I know it's not summertime. There was a, someone was just saying, there was a snow yesterday up at Como Lake area. But it was while picking raspberries one summer, I remember finding a nice large cane fallen lying beside the row. On it were dozens of tiny green raspberries. It was one of my best canes. But to my great disappointment they were all shriveled and dried up somehow the branch had broken off of the vine meaning none of those wonderful little berries would ever grow to maturity and when i saw the potential productivity of that raspberry cane i thought to myself if only the branch had stayed on the plant Its berries would have spruced up my breakfast cereal as I like to do in the mornings or topped up a bowl of ice cream for a delicious dessert if if it hadn't broken off the vine. So all I could do was just commiserate and complain and express my great disappointment for what might have been but wasn't. Well, that cane also reminded me of a fellow that I went with to Bible school with many years ago, by the name of Alan. Alan had made a commitment to Christ as a teenager, and he had come to Bible school to nurture his faith, yes, and also to find a bride, and uh, and he ended up doing both successfully, and he was keen to reach out to people in his local community. But in the years that followed. I was troubled to hear that Alan had begun to spend uh, more time on a bar stool than he did in a, in a church pew. Both his relationship with Christ and his relationship with his wife began drying up like that raspberry branch to the point where he later left his wife and his faith. Alan and that dried raspberry came help give me a renewed appreciation for the importance of having and nurturing a life-changing relationship with Christ on an ongoing basis. By the time that uh, the gospel writer John recorded Jesus' words about the vine and the branches that we will be reading this morning, John had seen its truth worked out in his own life and in the lives of so many others around him. He knew that how one responded to Jesus, to his teaching, not just in a moment, but on an ongoing basis, was literally a matter of life and death. I invite you to to turn with me as we unwrap the name of Jesus this morning, Jesus the vine from John chapter 15, John chapter 15. I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener or farmer. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, You are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. In this chapter Jesus as he so often did in his teaching works with pictures, ideas that were a natural part of the listener's experience. Grapevines were as common in Israel as raspberry canes and blueberry bushes are in the lower mainland. Most people had heard or at least had first-hand experience working in a vineyard. But Jesus' disciples they weren't only familiar with vines in the uh, in the vineyard. There is a deeper reason why Jesus used this vine and in, in vineyard image imagery. It evoked uh, stories and images from Israel's religious and cultural heritage, kind of like uh, if you've watched the movie Shrek. You know, and you start going along and it's like they're messing with a whole bunch of the fairy tales here. And they're, you know, weaving it back in and there's this messages happening, right? Well, as they would have heard this Jesus talking about, I am the vine, there was these other images from their history and cultural background coming in. And so over and over again in the Old Testament, Israel is pictured as the vine or vineyard of God. Uh, I could cite many examples, but for example, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 80, verse 8, you brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations, and you planted it. Another famous passage, Isaiah chapter 5, uh, look at a few verses, read a few verses. Uh, it, it kind of reads like a page out of Better Homes and Gardens, as it describes the gardener investing financially and personally in, into the, his vineyard. For example, it begins, it's a song, a song of the vineyard. I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. I mean, he really loves gardening, right? My beloved once had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it and cleared it of its stones and he planted it with the choicest vines. I mean, he's investing himself. He built a watchtower in it and a wine press as well. So he is planning for productivity and fruitfulness, because it's going to take several years before it's going to bear fruit. And he, I mean, he looked for a crop a crop of good grapes, and then he goes out to pick them, and they're terrible. And, uh, and then he will ask like, "What should I do about this vineyard?" And it's really a parable about them and how God has invested in them. In fact, so much Uh, had this vine imagery worked its way into their consciousness and into their history that on the great temple in Jerusalem, the one that Herod had rebuilt, there was a beautiful golden vine, symbol of that. And that would be, from the offerings, it would be continuously added to. And so it was always there when they came to the temple to see, you know, this vine and vineyard imagery. So did you notice, though, how Jesus introduces this metaphor by calling himself the true vine, not just the vine? Alathinos in Greek, it means it's the genuine one. Why would he say that? I'm the true, genuine vine. He says it because in virtually every passage where Israel is described as God's vine or vineyard in the Old Testament, the results turn out to be like they were in Isaiah. Very disappointing. As disappointing as my raspberry cane was and my friend Alan. I had planted you like a choice vine of sound, truthful, and reliable stock, God says in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine. And the answer given by Isaiah and the other prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, it still rings true today. The the problem, they said, was that the vine chose to pull its roots back from being rooted in God and then re-rooted itself into the soil of the nations around them adopting their values and behaviors. Ezekiel talks about this in Deuteronomy as well. Israel had rejected their creator and sought out alternate sources of identity and fulfillment and significance. Some that the prophets mention are material prosperity. So immediately following this song of the vineyard, God will go in in Isaiah, woe to you who add house to house and join field to field. You know, accumulating more stuff until no space is left and you live alone in the land with your big estate. They're also pleasure-seeking. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. They have all the latest musical instruments at their banquets. They play guitar hero and karaoke uh, versions of their day with endless parties. Uh, The sex appeal, he describes the women of Zion, for example, walking along with outstretched necks, flirting with their eyes, strutting along with swaying hips and ornaments jangling on their ankles. And, of course, pride. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight, who are heroes. Yeah, but heroes at drinking wine, and it goes on. Sound familiar at all? I think it's familiar because human nature hasn't changed, has it? For all this, you know, myth of progress, uh, human nature hasn't progressed. In his book, "Soul Survivor," Philip Yance, he talks about how, as a young adult, he had tried to break away from the constraints of his religious upbringing, and he was searching for alternate sources of meaning and fulfillment. And he said, "My, my older brother demonstrated what could happen if I chose to leave everything behind." In an attempt to break the shackles of a confining upbringing, he went on a grand quest for freedom, trying on worldviews like changing clothing, Pentecostalism, atheistic existentialism, Buddhism, new age spirituality. He joined the flower children of the 1960s, growing his hair long and wearing granny glasses, living communally, experimenting with sex and drugs. For a time... Yancey says, he sent me exuberant reports of his new life. Eventually, however, a darker side crept in. I had to bail him out of jail when an LSD trip went bad. He broke relationships with every other person in the family and burned through several marriages. I got late-night suicide calls. Watching my brother, I learned that apparent freedom can actually mask deep bondage, a cry from the heart of unmet needs. The most musically gifted person, he says, I had ever known ended up tuning pianos, not playing them on a concert stage. I saw close up the destructive power of casting off faith with nothing to take its place. Clearly, who and what we are connected to makes a huge difference in what gets produced in our lives. That is why Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a person remains in me and I in them, they will bear fruit, much fruit. Some translations have abide. Abide is not a common word these days. Rarely used, I think, except in... Uh, if you sing the, the older hymn, Abide With Me. So NIV uses the translation remain. In our fast-paced world, we do not know what it means to abide, to remain, which is why friendships that are deep and lasting are hard to come by. We long for them, but they're everly increasingly hard to find. The word in Greek Remain or abide is the word meno. Helps to be in a meno night church, eh? Meno, I thought that's a good one. You can remember that one. The word meno means continuous, remain, persist. A real meno night should have what we would call staying power. In the Gospel of John, the disciples grow through a growing understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. At one point, many people find the commitment to Jesus is too difficult. This is a hard teaching, they say in John 6. Who can accept it? And says, from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And so Jesus, at that moment, he turns to his closest disciples, his 12, and he says, do you not want to leave? You don't want to leave two, do you? And the question is hanging. Would they, Menno, remain last with Jesus? Will we? All this drama of real life relationships pours meaning into Jesus' words remain in me as I also remain in you. How? How? Notice in verse 7 that remaining in Jesus means his words need to remain in us. I'm reminded of Paul's words into Colossians. He says there, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Dwelling richly. Um, Not long ago, I was at a, a memorial service for Ina Mandangi. Uh, House for All Nations, the wife of House for All Nations, Pastor Sonny. And one of the things I took away most in, in some of our conversations and in, in what was shared was how she had loved the word, she had memorized the word, but in those last months as she was in hospice, she, she couldn't speak that much anymore, and she would say to Sonny, read slower. And so he would read the scripture slower, even slower, she would say, so she could savor the words. And then when he would finish it, he said this big smile would come to her face and she would say, yes. That is someone who has learned how to menno, how to remain, how to dwell in Jesus and in his words. Some of you may have memorized, I hope, Romans 15, 13 this last week. Anybody do their homework? (laughs) You know, you just need to go to the ERBF unofficial Facebook page, and then you'll see Ariel uploaded a song that goes along that goes that helps you learn to memorize that verse. It's really good because I did that. And then in the middle of the night, I woke up and that song is going around in my head. And I'm having breakfast and then I'm on my way to work. And it's like the song, I'm just humming it along. It really works. You got to try it. Because that's what helps. We need to spend also uninterrupted time with Jesus. We have interruptions all the time, don't we? We carry an interruption with us. Right? Maybe we need to put that in time out. Five minutes. Practice being present, really present with Jesus. That's how we learn to remain, to abide, to dwell in him. What if we don't remain in the true vine? Well, Jesus said in verse 6, If anyone does not remain in me, He is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Or composted or whatever it is, but they're useless. It's like a warning. Do not go it alone. It will not turn out well. Do not disconnect from Jesus. I probably should have kept my raspberry cane that dried up. I should have hung it up in a mantle somewhere or, you know, or on the edge of my greenhouse as a reminder. Or maybe a picture of Alan from my Bible college yearbook. Jesus is saying this, it's a dead end. But God's good plan for you, he says in verse 8, is that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That was God's expectation, his great expectation and hope. It was the reason why he had been preparing and pruning the disciples for the last three years. Now, of course, there were some attachments that most of us would like to get away from, right? I remember a Peanuts cartoon. Snoopy was on top of his doghouse, and he was writing a letter, and it started, Dear Revenue Canada. And then the next scene, he's thinking about this. And then he said, I am writing to you to cancel my subscription. (laughs) And the last scene, please remove me from your mailing list. (laughs) Okay. Well, there are some things that are just like no-brainers. We would really like to unplug from those. But there is other pruning that the gardener does that while unwanted at the time, does produce more fruit in our lives. Pruning out bitterness that we are so justified in having. And it goes back, those roots go back so long and far. And it needs to be pruned out of our lives. Self sufficiency. I remember my brother when he went through cancer treatments, and we were talked, reflecting on that time. And he said, The hardest time was the two weeks after I had my operation. He said, the hardest thing, there was pain, but the hardest thing was I couldn't do anything for myself. Virtually nothing. I have never been so dependent in my life. And we talked about that, because he is the kind of person who will drop things, he will come and help, he helps so many other people. And I said, you know, I think God uh, wants us to also exercise those muscles in our lives. Of depending upon others of pruning some of our self-sufficiency that we didn't know those roots went so deep over the course of Jesus time with his disciples the disciples fears and failures for example I think had been one of God's ways of pruning their illusion of self-sufficiency back so that they could learn the necessity of connecting with him more deeply in prayer and through his word Reminded on one occasion, Jesus had been up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He comes down to the bottom, and the disciples have just are failing. There's this father has brought his son who has been throwing himself into the fire. Even it just, it is, and he's, he's demon-possessed. And they said, we try, you know, I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't cast him out. And the disciples like, yeah, we couldn't do it. It's, and he said, this kind can only come out by prayer. And I think they thought, we prayed, oh, cast this out. I think what Jesus was getting at is no, no, like, really connecting with God. God, what are you up to here? What do you really want? What do you want part two you want me to play in this? One writer said, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. I like that. I think it is. Uh, Jesus, the foot washing, I think, had pruned back their pride and, com- and competitiveness so they could become truly servant leaders who other people would be glad to follow. And by regularly following and watching Jesus and his way of life, they had seen that a genuine connection with God really does enlarge rather than shrink one's life. If you had people? I mean, I remember before I came to faith in Christ, I thought, You know, life is going to be less fulfilling. And then you make this commitment and you find out, wow, there's more joy. There's more fulfillment in life. Boy, did I have a skewed view. But as they watched Jesus, they saw someone. They had never seen anyone so fully alive as Jesus And in Jesus' hands, they had experienced the kind of greater love he talks about in verse 13. A love that compelled him to lay down his life for his friends. And one that invited servants and slaves to become his closest circle of friends. And responding to his call, the call that he had made earlier on, come follow me, had been the way the disciples had first got connected. It's the way that any disciple ever gets connected. Responding to that call that Jesus has to us. And Jesus says in verse 16, I chose you. I did the initiative. He always does. And ongoing obedience to him was the way that their friendship with him had been and would continue to be. Expressed and nurtured. And if they stayed connected to the vine of Jesus' love and friendship, their lives would continue to be transformed, and it would have a transforming effect on others. Their changed lives would be a a visual and verbal witness, a testimony of the transforming power of a relationship with Jesus. And changed lives still are. God's greatest advertisement. Former atheist and award-winning journalist of the, of the, at the Chicago Tribune, uh, Lee Strobel, describes what happened to him in the, in the weeks and months following his decision to ultimately become a follower of Jesus. A reluctant follower, but he eventually did and gave his life to the Lord and he said over time as i endeavored to follow jesus teachings and open myself to his transforming power my priorities my values and my character were and continue to be gradually changed maybe that sounds mystical to you he said i don't know not long ago it would have to me but it's very real to me now and to those around me in fact so radical was the difference in my life that a few months later After I became a follower of Jesus, our five-year-old daughter Allison went up to my wife and said, Mommy, I want God to do for me what he's done for Daddy. Here was a little girl, he said, who had only known a father who was profane, angry, verbally harsh, and all too often absent, said Strobel. She had seen up close the influence that Jesus can have on one person's life. In effect, she was saying, if this is what God does to a human being, that's what I want for me. Do you want to have a, a truly fruitful life? Not necessarily fruitful or successful as the world defines it and seeks it, but a truly satisfying, fulfilling, meaningful, fruitful life in the eyes of God. John the Baptist, he was spiritually fruitful, but his life did not include prosperity or longevity or physical security. None of Jesus' 12 disciples' lives included these either. But they were deeply meaningful and fruitful in God's eyes with everlasting, eternal fruit that we are still benefiting from. They had a depth of friendship with the living God himself beyond what any of them had ever thought possible. Not servants of God or slaves of God, Friends, friends of God. God sent his son Jesus not to bring us religion, but to invite us into a life changing relationship. That is still what God wants for each of us. Do you want that? I'm going to pray. And maybe for you, it's the first time you've never, you know, uh, opened up your life to Christ. I just invite you to do that as we pray together. And maybe you say, I need to really sink my roots deeper into Christ. I need to be a true menno and remain and dwell in him. And as we're praying, invite the worship team to come up. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to invite us into a life-changing relationship with you and with the Father and with the Son. Into a friendship, the kind of friendship that we, something in us longs for, but never fully experiences. Lord, you designed us for a deep and lasting and intimate relationship. But the ultimate relationship The only one that will truly satisfy is in you. Lord, we want to open ourselves to you and ask you to to cleanse us. Lord, to come and make your home and your dwelling in us. Change us from the inside out. As, as we sing in the Christmas carol, cast out our sin and enter in, be born anew in us today, that we might experience the joy that you promised, that we might experience a life that is truly fruitful in this life and in the life to come. Amen. Amen. So, just a reminder... A choir, we're going to be practicing uh, after the service. And remember, when you come this afternoon, what time are you going to come? 2.30. What are you going to bring? Cookies. Cookies. And your singing voice, of course. And we are going to enjoy time together. If you would like prayer, it's a table set up there, but it is still where the prayer team is going to be, where Lisa and Lois are going to be available to, uh, to pray with you. And I encourage you uh, to take advantage of that. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen.